is On Belief, a podcast about cults by Karen Geyer. Neurodivergence and cults. On this show, we try to widen the perspective on who is susceptible to cults and who has been in cults, and generally speaking, that these situations can happen to just about everyone. But what happens when you have some very specific differences that maybe make you more susceptible to joining a high demand group? My guest today is a neurodivergent person who joined not just one high demand group, but two. She's written on the subject of why these groups target people who are neurodivergent and why neurodivergent people might be uniquely susceptible to joining high demand group. She'll also be giving a speech in June at the International Cultic Studies Association on this very topic. Please welcome Priscilla Ailes. Welcome, Priscilla. Let's go back and talk about growing up and let's talk about where maybe you may have encountered some situations that made you more susceptible to joining a high demand group. Well, first of all, I, I feel like there's, I mean, there's a lot of like factors at play, I think, with my story. Um, so when I think about what made me susceptible, um, there was, yeah, I mean, oh God, where to start? Okay, so I, for, like, I think one, one of the main things is the sense of, like, being different from a very young age. Um, I feel, I feel like before I even knew what, like, being neurodivergent was, um, I always had a sense of feeling like I somehow wasn't getting it. I somehow wasn't getting the rules of, like, how to behave around people, um, how you're supposed to be as a you know as a girl traditionally um like what you're supposed to be into what you're supposed to uh say and act like and so I always felt like I was getting that wrong and I always felt like there were all these rules that I didn't know about and that other people just did naturally and I felt like I could uh, I would always be sort of um feeling like a bit of a liability like putting my foot in it, foot in it or saying something inappropriate or um, just feeling like everyone else was more popular than me and uh, everyone could naturally sort of form friendship groups and I felt like I was always trying to get into groups and work out how groups like were and how to be in them Um, and so I always felt like a sense of sort of alienation and uh, loneliness from from a very young age and I was I was the only child as well I mean I had two older half brother and half sister um and uh but I I didn't live with them so that was that was you know that was a big factor and um and it just meant and it just meant that like yeah I had a lot of time on my own um I think I used to spend a lot of time just like reading and just listening to music and like getting into my you know kind of esoteric things that no one else was into like sort of Victorian novels and Kate Bush and stuff <laughs> and like you know into like things like that at a really precocious age um and and then yeah just I just have like memories of just always sort of being picked last at the, you know one of the last people to be picked in sports teams and getting kind of, also just kind of getting made 
like having uh, getting made fun of because you know I had an afro growing up and um people would just used to shout out like scary spice and like you know sing you know car wash and like it's a car wash and all this stuff and so I yeah so I always felt different I looked different I acted different um even though I didn't feel like I was doing anything wrong I just felt like other people thought I was doing something wrong a lot and I and I felt like I was also always sort of apologizing for myself um <laughs> even like you almost like apologizing for existing because it's like I just used to inadvertently yeah if it wasn't like, upsetting my parents for not cleaning my room properly or forgetting to or getting distracted or forgetting to pick up the milk something like that um you know it would be something else like um or I'd be getting upset because I wasn't invited to a party that weekend and everyone else had gone it was that kind of thing so so yeah, I don't know if that sort of explains it, but it, yeah, it's just it, it's really that sense of alienation and sort of loneliness was a big part of my childhood and through to my teens and twenties, I think I had a lot of periods, long periods of sort of being quite depressed, feeling like I couldn't get into a relationship where, I, like you know, my peers were getting into relationships quite easily. I always felt like funny around relationships because I I always felt like people got into them very early and I didn't understand it. <laughs> I didn't understand the point of them at first. But then I was like very much wanting to be in relationships and, and finding it really hard and getting myself into these sort of casual situations where I thought it was something more. And, and even just, you know, a sort of on and off affair with someone I realised was kind of a narcissist, really. <laughs> um, uh, not like, you know, not the most psychopathic narcissist but definitely somewhere on that scale um which you know was a big devastating thing for me for a few years um yeah so I mean I mean that was during when I was in the cult but like these are the sort of patterns that were in my life and so um I think my mum as well didn't really understand much about mental health um she came from Zimbabwe so she's like first generation immigrant um and um she so she didn't really yeah she didn't really understand like I think she's she she goes to she's she's quite religious um and she sort of became like a born again Christian like uh during my I think my teen years which I sort of um I don't know I I felt like I got a bit annoyed with that because I felt like she spent a lot of time uh with <laughs> sort of religion and I felt like it was impacting on our relationship because I was you know I came out also as as being bisexual and it didn't go down very well so that was another thing that um you know for a little while was causing a lot of tension and a lot of upset um which you know it eventually was resolved but um sort of <laughs> resolved but like uh, yeah that was another thing and you know another point of difference basically um yeah, so she she actually got a recommendation to do from one of her uh, best friends uh, because she'd seen how depressed I seemed, um, and I think my mum was just at a loss of, of what to do about it, and I just don't think she would have naturally felt to thought to go to the doctor, for example, or to to think about treatment for depression. I think she just felt like. It was like a maybe like a mindset problem because she always used to kind of say to me, 
you know why can't you be positive you know it's affecting the house and you know it's like negative emotions weren't really tolerated you know it was like you had to be happy you had to be um you had to make an effort kind of thing um and so I think she probably felt that this course was maybe something around being more positive and having a better attitude and um so that's how I and you I found out about talk to me about your observations when you attended those sessions I, I think I went through a whole sort of roller coaster of emotions during that weekend. Um, I, I think, I mean, at the start and beginning, I thought I was sort of cynical because I, 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 I don't know. I guess I had this view of self-help being sort of for a certain type of person, um, sort of, uh, I don't know, like that phrase, happy, crappy sort of person comes to mind, and and I was never really, I'd, I'd never been into self-help of any kind at all before this so I, I started off feeling a bit cynical but also just feeling like well what have I got to lose you know um maybe it will help I don't know so we'll see um and uh I mean I think the first you know they call it a breakthrough and, and the first thing I thought was a breakthrough was that oh you know this um story that you have about yourself is just that it's just a story it's not real um blah 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 and I just felt like okay um I guess that gives me some you know I thought at first that gave me some freedom and I thought oh okay the story that I'm telling myself about me being not good enough and something wrong with me and and I'll never amount to anything or you know I'll never have a relationship whatever that that is just a story and they talked a lot about um the victim sort of triangle and well I don't know if it was necessarily victim victim but how they described it was like you're the victim in your own story and you're either sort of the the hero or the one that's like constantly stuff is being done to and and it's never your responsibility it's it's the responsibility is out there for the people um, who are ruining your life and stuff like that and the whole thing was about turning that around and saying you're responsible for your life um, it's not up to anyone else um, and and they're nothing to do with how you're feeling it's it's all you um, so yeah I thought okay yeah that sort of gives me some freedom I think uh, and but then they had this all this homework we had to go and call someone up and you break and talk to them and people you'd got lost touch with lost communication with and to like talk about uh I don't know have a breakthrough with them is what they call it and um that was very intimidating for me because I hate talking on the phone as an autistic person like I find the phone conversation really difficult um it's quite uh like I, I, I yeah I just feel like it's especially if it's someone like I'm okay if it's someone I really know and really know like know well but when it's someone I don't know and I haven't spoken to for ages that's like really intimidating um and so I was quite reluctant to do it but I I did do it I think I who did I call I think I might have called my parents maybe (laughs) I'm trying to remember who I called oh I think I, I called my ex yeah I did call my ex I called my ex and um and I mean it was quite a good conversation and I think I was just trying to because I think the way things had ended with us wasn't great and uh and I felt like I'd been quite needy in that relationship so I think I started talking about that so that you know there's stuff like that that gives you sort of epiphanies and you're like you have a sort of high from being like you've done something that you never would have done before and all of that 
and and then there was like a very very uh, intense sort of guided meditation and what we call guided meditation um which I now know was sort of like breaking you down to like regress you basically um till you're in the state of like being like a child who's like fearful of everything um and, and you know that people were crying and and like you know calling for their moms and stuff and it was really like really intense and um uh and then if they sort of build you back up and um and, and and then sort of install these you know the ideas the sort of technology of like oh but you don't have to live in this with this fear you can you've got a blank canvas now you've got your own sto- like story that you can write and and start fresh and you know it's that sort of thing um and and and, and the, you know there's a whole other bit where the leader is just like shouting at you and calling you like assholes and stuff <laughs> I can't remember exactly. it might have been assholes and bastards or whatever that we're all just like really selfish and horrible people <laughs> basically a whole section on that um and I remember one person just wanting to get like I think one person just walked out at that point um and wanted their money back um and yeah I don't know like it was it was really long days and so I think I felt really just like really tired um I never been used to sort of doing something that long starts so early I think it started at like nine o'clock in the morning and then you know the last day went on till like 11 o'clock at night or something I can't remember it was so it was really late um and then you had to like invite someone for the Tuesday session um to share a breakthrough you had and like a registration evening which then it, you know it was quite a lot of pressure to then invite people um yeah but I, I yeah I guess I just felt like because I'd never done anything like that before I felt oh my god like oh this is amazing oh I I you mean I don't have to have this narrative that I've had blah 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 you know and if I'd actually done any sort of basic reading of any sort of self-help I would have understood that that's a really like basic idea and it's not original at all and obviously like it's um stolen from a lot of different things um like I don't I think um what's the one he, he, these are like German philosophers that he that, that I know um that I held liked and you know just uh stuff from Buddhism stuff from Scientology like you know mishmash of stuff basically but at the time I thought original but oh this is amazing you know <laughs> oh let's talk about you know um you know so after that did you sign up for any more programs what happened to you afterwards what you know did you notice a difference in your day-to-day life? Um, so, yeah, there's, that, that, that's the thing about Ambark uh, is that there's a lot, of, a lot of pressure to um, like register people in course and also do the next course. Um, and, of course, when, when you first do this thing, you don't know about any of this. You just think, oh, I'm doing this one weekend and that's it. Like, you don't think about all the other courses that they've got laid out for you. Um, and then they call it the you know curriculum for living, uh, and they said, and I remember the leader who called uh, called Jerry would um, say, oh, he'd say, oh, you know, we've got these three courses, we've got the advanced course and the master master's course, I think it is, or master mastery course, and that you know, 
uh, that's what we designed for people because that's what they wanted. You know, they weren't getting enough reform. They wanted to, to keep going, keep having breakthroughs. So, you know, some people just, you know, they t- do free and that's enough for them. That's fine. It's like, you know, you kind of made it seem like, you know, it's no big deal if you want to go after that, basically. <laughs> and so, okay, you know, I just thought, okay, that's, you know, that sounds all right. Um, and I, but I remember thinking, like, I don't have enough money. I think it was like twice the price of the first one. And I didn't even pay for the first one. My mum paid for that. Um, and I think it was like 500 quid or something. Um, and I just remember thinking, I'd love to do it, but I just can't afford it. I, I didn't even have a job at the time. Um, and someone actually paid for it for me. Um, I'm just trying to think if that was, maybe that was, no, maybe that was the third course. But anyway, <laughs> it was at one point someone paid for me. Um, but yeah, I remember thinking that I needed to continue because I needed to continue having like, uh, continue developing myself and if I if I stop there then I might just go back to how it was because that was the sort of fear that they instilled in you was that if you stop doing these courses then how are you going to sort of maintain this um, and they did offer like some uh, sessions afterwards I think we got like seven or eight sessions it's like oh you know we just include these as complimentary but I sort of now realize it was really just to sort of in, you know try and get people to stay and do more courses um um, yeah so I guess how I I don't know I I felt like I definitely felt like a sort of euphoria coming out of it because that's what they sort of engineer and um I felt like you know I wanted to tell everyone about it and I wanted to sort of you know, so feeling it's like, I want to shout this from the rooftop, everyone's going to do this course, it's amazing, you know, ah. you know, it's just, uh, it was just, uh, it was something very different for me, um, and I guess I felt like any, you know, almost like anything was possible, and, and so it did give me that feeling, um, and, you know, that is, that you know, it's definitely, it's what they engineer, because it's like, if you didn't have that feeling, you know, <laughs> you wouldn't, you know, why would you do any more courses? But at the same time, it's like, well, if anything's possible, why don't you do more courses? <laughs> so <laughs> I don't know. It's a bit of a paradox. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it, I was definitely a sucker for that sort of, I mean, I definitely, that's the ADHD, I think, part of my brain is that there's a sort of, it, there's a dopamine hit there this course you get from this course and you get from the feeling of being around other people sharing quite intimate stuff you know um that was another thing that was quite striking about it was I'd never before been around a group of people just sharing the most intimate stuff that you would only ever really tell your best friend you know like I don't know just stuff like their dad being an alcoholic and you know all this kind of stuff abuse and all this you know it's just yeah it was quite a lot and I I remember sharing quite a few times and um thinking oh this is great because I'm the sort of person who shares kind of stuff inappropriately anyway so I think oh it's a room full of people who like to also share stuff like that um (laughs) you know um and then also of course that's going to be used against you because that's like really personal information um and yeah, like, it's like, oh, we know this about you now. So this is how we're going to get you to do more courses. Because <laughs> you don't do more courses. Remember what you shared about, like, wanting a breakthrough of that person? Like, <laughs> so, yeah. So, yeah, I was completely, like, in full to it all. And that sort of dopamine hit and that sense of community, really. And um, that sense of feeling that I could, 
uh, things were possible because I think I'd been in such a negative mind space that nothing was happening for me. I couldn't get a job, couldn't be in a relationship. Uh, felt like I was struggling with my friendships and everything else like that. This group is primarily white and you are not. So how was your race a complicating factor here? I mean, the more digging you do into this uh, group and their founder, the more dark it becomes, I have to say, the more white supremacist it becomes. Um, Like, I mean, okay, so first of all, their whole sort of uh, like teaching is is based around this idea of you being responsible for everything. Um, And it's it's so it's it's at the same time as it's a cult and a group, it's very individual individualist in thinking um and so there's like no sense of the social barriers and racism the discrimination that you may face as a person being a real thing that it could stop you from achieving what you wanted to achieve right because it's all your responsibility (laughs) and it's your story it's like basically anything like that would be seen in terms really as a story right oh that's the story you have you can't get something because of racism and like you know at the time I wasn't so aware of racism really like I felt like I was like other people thinking that racism was was something that was very like an overt form of racism rather than like systematic and covert so like I hadn't really developed my understanding very well until really um my sort of I guess my late 20s early 30s and I I was doing this you know in my mid mid 20s I'd say like early to mid 20s so so yeah on one level it was like I wasn't noticing this and then on another level I feel like it really set me back in terms of actually looking at that because um there was no talk about it there was no sense of like this is a thing that we need to discuss um and it was very victim blaming um so if I had like come to them with problems of racism, they would definitely have turned it around on me. Like, you know, unless that person individual in this, in the group was, you know, anti-racist or whatever, they might put their own individual spin on it. But, you know, the, the, the technology and uh, teaching as a whole would have said, well, that's, this is my problem. It's my responsibility. Responsibility and what you can do about it. Like, how are you going to have a breakthrough in that area? Or like, you know, how are you going to be master of your own like destiny and sort of take things into your own hands? You know, so it's it's very uh, damaging in that sense. Um, and uh, yeah, it's it's a very sort of white supremacist authoritarian way of viewing the world. From you know, this all the leaders were like. Most of the leaders were white men. There was a couple of people that weren't white men, but even then it's like they're still teaching the course. They're not, you know, they're still not talking about racism or anything like that. Um, you know, so, I mean, there might be allusions to it, but it was never, it was only ever in the context of people's personal stories. It was never part of the training. Um, so, yeah. And then also, like, just recently, I was looking on... on um, glass door about at the reviews and there's one person who because you know there's been all this like black lives matter protests recently um there was one person who actually was saying that um there was a really racist email that one of the executives i think one of the top executives wrote about in reference to black lives matter um 
and that you know this person wrote it was you know made to feel very uncomfortable um and you know they were alienating black people basically black staff or black you know and then they were saying and because then you know they were saying about how they would organize these things oh we'll have a for black people um and they did this you know during my time it's like you know you be in the introduction leaders program uh this is the you know program after the uh like third of like the the curriculum for living that you did afterwards um an advanced course but um they would say oh organize like a a, a registration of uh introduction evening for the forum for your community so some people would you know arrange it for the black community or you know whatever their community was um but the thing was is that like as I said in this like glass door post it's like well what are you going to be telling these black people that racism is just a story (laughs) you know like they're trying to say like oh yeah we're so inclusive it's like no you're not you're just trying to market to a different group (laughs) you know were there any racialized people in the back office or in the leadership there there was a woman I'm trying to remember her name I can't remember her name but she she worked I can't remember she worked in sales or something like that but she you know one of her her story was really pretty powerful it was like quite devastating because her I think her her background was that she was from I think was it from Sierra Leone or somewhere like that or somewhere like Congo I can't quite remember now but I know that like she'd watched her family members being like butchered to death or something like that something really really traumatic um and I think that's part of the reason why she was there because she wanted to sort of make a difference in her community. But um, yeah, so there were there were black people, um, but yeah, like as I say, it's kind of like I I don't think I ever heard the word racism once like used by staff or by in the training, like it, it like yeah, I just can't remember ever hearing that word being used which is quite telling <laughs> um, you know if they were talking about stuff like oh the genocide and whatever like it was no there was no there's no social there's no social context attached to it you know it's it's all in the frame of their technology and their way of speaking and viewing the world basically um, high demand groups often make a lot of decisions for you or make the decisions so tight that you have you know one or two choices so was that attractive to you as a person who maybe didn't enjoy making a lot of decisions or maybe had some trouble making decisions? Yeah, no, definitely. That's definitely um, a massive um, attractive, like it, it is an attractive thing for, for someone like me because especially in the more sort of autistic spectrum, um, as I said, bef- like before growing up, I felt very sort of confused about all the social cues, all about all about all the sort of nuanced understanding of social interaction, and there w- and it felt to me like there were no clear rules, um, and there was no clear sort of way of un- like understanding how I was supposed to be and in the world, and so when a group comes along and say, look, these are the rules, this is what you need to do. This is the, these are steps and this is like just go and do it like this is what you need to do um it's very clear it's very simple it's very like um yeah like it, there's no hidden I mean there is obviously a hidden agenda but you know there's no like hit like 
yeah, as it seems, there is no hidden things like as it seemed to me, and um, and so it just seems a very clear thing to follow and understand. Obviously, okay, so like if I register someone, then I will get a breakthrough and (laughs) I will, you know, improve my life and their life, and I'll create this community of people who want to make change in the world, and you know, and and it appeals to that sense of like you know clarity you know and, and because also I felt like my my brain was just so chaotic it was like having that structure um and feeling like I had places to be at certain times even if I you know at times I just felt like it was prison in the end and that's why I sort of left um <laughs> it, it was very definite about where I needed to be and I think you know like what I was saying about feeling upset if I wasn't invited to parties or I felt like everyone else was doing something you know really fun and I had a lot of FOMO about what people were doing on weekends and with their spare time um and so you know what I would call unplanned unstructured time is like hell for me still is like I still find it really hard to deal with because my brain is so busy looking for to be entertained constantly and it's that sort of anxiety of being left with your own thoughts and everything that like to have to be busy all the time it's like I don't have to to think about that or I I, I'm so busy that I don't have to think about you know my usual anxieties my worries about what other people are doing or that kind of thing so yeah that that's when did this shift for you so so I just I done the introduction leaders program, which was like six months, um, really grueling. Um, and I, I I I would the last thing I did was I did it for the second time, and because I hadn't got enough like what they call registrations, um, I felt like I wanted to get enough registrations to become an introduction leader. Um, and you know it's it's one of these things it's such a status thing because you get a little badge you know when you like you walk around looking I don't know uh, you know feeling like you're probably better than other people because you've got you know 50 registrations or whatever it was I can't remember how many registrations you're supposed to get I think it was around like something silly like 40 or 50 or I can't remember but um I think I was so happy that I only ever managed to get my mum to do it. <laughs> I was so happy about that. I was just very like, yes, I only ever got my mum to do it. <laughs> my mum and my dad. And that was it. Like, no one else did it. Um, but yeah, I, I felt like, okay, I need to have a breakthrough in, in this. And I want to be an introduction leader because I really believed in time at the, t- in the technology and that, you know, we were doing this amazing thing. We were changing the world, whatever. Um, but by the time it came around to the second time of doing it I mean it's just it's a it's a massive commitment and obviously it's intentionally a massive commitment um it was like having a second job basically uh, I, I can't exactly remember how many hours we were meant to it was like volunteering but they called it assisting um we were doing but it, it, it must have been like something I can't even remember like it, it was like having a part-time job it was like it must have been at least like it felt like it was like at least 18 20 hours a week or something like that maybe less than that but it, it was enough to be like I had to leave work earlier just to get to my assisting agreement on time um and so it was very long shifts as well it was like four hours or something um I'm just trying to remember if it was like four or five hours it was really long um and I just I remember so many hours 
just being in that office, just staring at the window, thinking, um, why don't I just leave? Why can't I just, I should just leave. (laughs) But then just feeling like I was stuck there, like I couldn't leave because like they they have a whole thing about being in integrity and being on time and being your word and so if I was to leave that would be I'd be so out of integrity and how's that looking the rest of my life and blah 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 um and you know I was so used to feeling my myself as just being this unreliable person that I wanted to be reliable um and but I just felt miserable and I just remember just calling people who I'd not even spoken for ages. And it, and it just got to the point where I felt like a sort of Jehovah's Witness, like where every, you know, even outside of that, every person I met, I talked to about, I'd have to somehow like um, manage it or like strategize conversations so that I could bring up something vulnerable about myself and say, oh, but I got this from and you know what about you you know and like getting to talk about something in their life that is important to them and it just felt so mechanical and so manipulative in the end because these are people that I probably wouldn't have talked to otherwise or I certainly wouldn't have been asking them questions about their life like that um you know if I in that way you know it was very forced and just having conversations to the point with friends where they would literally shout at me to stop talking about it you know literally stop you know because I couldn't stop talking about it and you know and that's you know these groups take advantage of that they take advantage of your passion and your you know ability to just keep going but in the end I think I just got completely burnt out and and it just didn't I didn't have the energy to do it anymore and there's a couple of incidents as well um that were sort of red flags for me um one of them was when I was in an assisting agreement and uh I, I was on on the phone to someone and this person said that their uh, partner had done that and had actually killed themselves afterwards as a result of doing that. um so yeah it's like what the hell do you do with that you know it's like oh I'm really sorry it's like really partner uh, really sorry and um it was just really traumatizing. It's a really horrible, traumatizing thing to hear. And this person, my God, like she was so nice. You know, she could have been so like, how dare you call me out? You know, but she was so nice and calm. And I was like, I was actually like thinking about afterwards. And I would have been so angry if I was that person. But she was so okay about like she was so nice to me. Like, uh, and um, I felt like almost it didn't even. I would have shouted. Um, and then afterwards there's there's no uh, like you know first of all there's no like there's no proper training in how to deal with calls like that there's no training on how to also vet people whether they're mentally healthy to do the program and that you know that already just sort of you know made made me think about that again because like yeah we have all this small print and we don't even properly read it to them we don't even probably give them time to go through it and it's all this thing where we're not responsible if you have adverse effects or if you end up I don't know mentally unwell or whatever it says but you know it's basically stuff that we're not responsible for your mental health we're not therapists or whatever um and don't do this if you're mentally unwell but you don't go through that properly with people at all um and so hearing that was like a real wake up call. And and afterwards, like, I just had no support, really. I mean, they have this, they have this other person who's an introduction leader, or whatever, um, 
who was meant you're meant to debrief with them after and all she said was she obviously didn't know how to handle it either because she'd had no training but she was just like oh all you could say was sorry and then that was it like no one else talked to me about it no one said are you okay Priscilla nothing you know and so I was just left with that like horrible horrible (laughs) devastating story um and then another incident was um because I always had problems with being on time because of my ADHD um which I didn't know at the time as my ADHD um so that was another complication I had loads of shame around being on time and um they had this thing where you know you have to do, put yourself back in integrity if you're late even if it's like a really valid excuse like traffic or you know someone's seriously ill or something you know you have to still put yourself in integrity in front of everyone else in the room so they have this massive thing about time and then um I was coming to assist for a seminar and the seminar leader whose name was like Patton um he I, I was like 15 minutes late and he shouted at me like he, he he shouted at me so like in such a really sort of harsh uncoolful way um I, I just remember going into the room and um uh, and he was like I can't even remember what he said but it's it's the way he said it it was like oh what uh, you know how dare you turn up like this you know I have to set up these like and he was like slamming down the chairs because I was, you know, because that was my job. And he's just like, oh, and I have to don't do this myself. And, ah, and like, he's just so angry. I'd never seen someone that angry before about being 15 minutes late to a volunteering position, right? I'm not even paid, right? <laughs> um, and I was horrified because he just shouted at me in front of, you know, there's other people there as well. Um, and I was, afterwards, I was in tears. I was actually in tears. Um, and even <laughs> despite that I was the one that had to apologize right I was the one that was made to feel bad because you know I was the one out of integrity and I need to restore of integrity and apologize and you know I need to like you know sort of basically recommit to being on time and being someone who who's uh they can rely on and whatever and when I thought about that afterwards just like that is so messed up <laughs> that's so messed up basically verbally abused me and I had to apologize <laughs> yeah um so it was, it was incidents like that that sort of built up and I just I think in the end I just had enough and I just didn't want to do it anymore I was so I was so sick to death of, of talking to people about landmark and being there's a constant constant pressure to register people into the forum get them to introduction evenings it was constant pressure um and you know it's just it becomes a thing in your head like you end up sort of telling yourself that you need to do this they put this thought in your head that you need to if you're not doing this you're not making a difference to that person's life and you have to be a stand for them and blah 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 you know if you really care about this person why don't you do this you know that kind of thing it just became too much and that's yeah how we ended up leaving what did leaving look like for you? What happens is they'll just, they bombard you with calls. Um, and like when I, what I noticed uh, when I was calling people as well is that people literally said that they put themselves on the do not call list 
and I was still being give, given lists with their names on it. So the GDPR was just like, no GDPR. I don't know if GDPR had been, been put in place at that point, but they would definitely have not passed it because there was information with phones everywhere, phone numbers, like personal information. Um, and, you know, you, you shred it, but still it was just lazy and, and you'd be calling people who'd be so angry. Like, I put myself in the jail, stop calling me, you're harassing me. It's like, oh, okay, <laughs> sorry. Um, so yeah, so then they just sort of did that to me, basically. Um, and and but and, and and the crap thing is that that they would because you would, the volunteers, the assistants would be using their own phones. Um, it wouldn't be always from the phone. So you'd see this number come up and you wouldn't know who who was calling, and so you'd be like, you'd answer it, and then you're like, oh. He's and so in the end, I just stopped answering any sort of numbers that I didn't recognise, and stopped answering their calls and. Uh, I just get so many voice messages as well from that. Her name was Pip, Pip Gardner. I think she was like the, um, I, don't pro, I can't really remember what her name was. I, I, I job title was like program manager, but she used to lead the instruction leaders from, but I used to get so many messages from her saying, Priscilla, Priscilla, oh, come and do this assisting. We've got this assisting role for you. Oh, come back, we need you. Whatever, you know, like just so many of those. And I think, I can't remember how many months it went on for. It must have been at least like three months, maybe, of them just persistently calling me. Um, but I just, I just ignored it basically, and um, I never went back after that because um, I just, I, I, I'd, I'd given so much of my time and energy that I was just literally spent. Like I couldn't, I didn't want to give any more time and energy to them. So uh, yeah. <laughs> because it's like oh you know you make all these people that basically you come to see as your friends and so they're then saying oh come to my you know come and help me with my introduction like can you help me like practice my introduction speech you know introduction whatever for my ILP or you know you get so many people like, and it just felt like very much like you're being used like you're not even a friend to them anymore they just want to use you for the to get their ILP leader status or whatever so yeah that was the other thing that got really annoying (laughs) so what did you do after you got out you know some people they go to therapy did you do anything like that I didn't have an understanding like I do now of what landmark was really all about like I didn't understand that they were a cult at the time of leaving I just felt like it's too much I'm not up to it I can't do this it's too hard and I and I don't want to talk to anyone about almost ever again, you know. Like only if maybe I thought it might be useful, but yeah. Um, so I just I just had nothing that way. But I didn't realize like how like dark and manipulative they actually were. Um, it's only really through actually this lockdown that I've started really delving into what coercive control was. Um, so after that, I, I didn't, I, and that was the problem. I didn't actually look into what happened to me. I just sort of wrote it off as something that was a mistake and that I wouldn't do it again and that, you know, I'd met some friends and that was cool, but I didn't want to ever do it again. Um, and then that the problem with that is that, you know, I, I like, I've heard that what I did was a term called cult hopping. So you don't actually think about, why you got into the first group in the first place um, or how you ended up I mean, well, more like how you ended up sort of getting so involved that you ended up doing spending all this money doing these courses um so in the end I just ended up going into another group that which is one taste because someone in 
recommended it and said oh you know you should try this this is great and it's almost like this is better than landmark you know it's much less dry and it's it's, it's and because it, it was about sort of discovering sexuality and things like that I thought that would be interesting because I felt like I hadn't really I had a lot of shame around that area so I was just intrigued I guess um I thought I'd like to try it because I sort of was more interested into in self-development after doing that and just looking for sort of different flavors of it I guess but different flavors of cold 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 groups that turned up um so yeah so yeah that that's what happened to me how long were you with the one taste organization so I I was with them for about I think it was like two as I'm trying to remember, it was 2000, uh, I think about 2013, 14 to, it was about three years, three to, yeah, three years, I think, yeah. Did you do many courses with them? Yeah, so I, I avoided that just because I had the experience and I didn't want to go through that again. Um, but um, yeah, I just, I sort of just ended up doing a couple of weekend courses um like a retreat uh a desire course um what was the other ones that's what I remember <laughs> there was like there was like three sort of evenings as well like on circles and you'd have some talks and, and I started the coaching program um but I I left in the first weekend um and so yeah so I only went that far I didn't go as far as, as I did basically I think my, my problem with uh, One Taste from the start I felt like the prices were ridiculous um like and and you know back in the day when I thought Landmark was a car I was like oh well, Landmark's so much cheaper why is this <laughs> you know why is this so expensive um and because the the coaching course was about it was about eight thousand pounds or like ten thousand dollars. It was something. It was equivalent, almost to having like, a, a, you know, a proper educational course, like higher educational course. And I was just thinking, why is it this expensive? Like, if this is so, like, if what they're saying uh, uh, is this is so good, then why would they make it so out of reach for so many people? Um, and and literally, people were starting Kickstarters and getting into debt getting bringing out getting out bank loans so they could afford these courses um and I got talked after doing one uh, at the end of one weekend course uh, into putting down like a thousand pound deposit for this course and I had never ever like given so much money away in one go uh, so quickly before and and I had about three people on me just like, you know, basically like love love bomb, bombing me and saying, oh, Priscilla, you're great, you're amazing. Oh, my God, you get this out there. I'm such a stand to you to be like this amazing person, whatever. Um, and and after I gave, you know, so I gave this deposit and I just felt like, what the hell have I done? Like, that's not me. Like, I don't just spend money. You know, I'm, I'm bad with spending, but I'm not that bad. Like, that's just that's really bad pounds and I don't think I even had a job at the time either um again so uh, it was just a silly amount of money and so I was really like okay why the hell did I do that um and then so starting the weekend off thinking well I just I just thought well you know I'll give it a try and I remember them saying 
if you don't like it, then you can get your money back um, by the end of the first weekend if you want to leave. So I just thought, okay, fine, well, I'll just try it. Um, and I just remember being like the only one having these doubts about the price and everyone else was just fine with it. And I was just like, really? <laughs> like, I didn't understand why I was the only one that was sort of questioning it. Like, uh, I don't know. I mean, maybe one other person might have said, yeah, it's a bit expensive. <laughs> but like, everyone else was just sort of, yeah, this is fine. Like, this is great. Um, it's amazing. And I, I just thought, like... I don't even know what we were being taught. It was like nothing. It was like, it was filler material because it, it had sort of like had to give us something, but, <laughs> but I didn't even remember. It was like, it was something like practicing how to involve people or something, practicing how to mirror people, um, how to like, it seemed, it seemed also very manipulative. <laughs> how to make people like you or something so that you can sell them stuff <laughs> um, um and and then there was just this whole bit which really put me off I think it was on the Sunday that this guy um I think he was Dutch and he seemed like one of these sort of um Bitcoin LMM people <laughs> I don't know if you've heard the missing there's a couple the missing crypto cream and there's this guy, this Dutch guy, and he just sounds like he's just super dirty. And he, he, this was that guy. It felt like he just, like, he, he had the sort of, like, look of someone, like, I don't know how I describe it, like, really tasteless sort of clothing, like, really gaudy and, like, and some like you'd just look at him and go, I don't trust you. <laughs> like, I just think he was completely, like, the wrong person to try and sell one taste and be convincing that he wasn't just a, like, a salesman. Um who was out for your money and didn't care um and, and so there was like a whole hour or a bit or whatever on the the land like this place where you could go and have a great time with some goats or something <laughs> like <laughs> obviously you left one taste so what was leaving like this time was it different from the prior time um i mean it was kind of the same really like they'll they'll text you I just remember like after I left uh, and I had to have like free conversations like and obviously you can just leave <laughs> I had to have free conversations with people one of them was a person who I didn't like because they clearly were crap at showing that they did. they couldn't love bond to save their ass like, basically <laughs> they, they were crap at like showing any signs that they actually even liked me maybe they even racist I don't even know but she was rubbish um so I didn't even want to speak to her and then I had to speak to two other people and then uh one of these people Justina was trying to give me like a special deal in coaching and stuff like this um and saying oh you're such a good person and all that love bombing stuff and then she would and she texted me afterwards when I when I said like yeah I want to go and they said I can't afford it um She's like, oh, I've just been thinking, I've just been thinking about you and, oh, you know, well, I can't remember, was it, like, uh, what an amazing, like, I don't know, what was it, what, uh, um, what an amazing, what amazing things you could have, you, what you, what amazing things you did, like, what we spoke about, you know, and all this stuff, like, it was just so manipulative, I was, like, so pissed off with that text, <laughs> um, because it's like, I said no, leave me alone. <laughs> no. Um, 
thinking of you what are you um and um yeah it was just like that really it's like they'll, they'll text you and say oh, i'll be in this course only two spots left or you know come do this thing and it was just it was it was so blatant like it was such blatant marketing i and i yeah i just didn't really respond the same like the same as before really um yeah yeah that was it really and i just felt like it was and i also i think i had some distance because after i left the coaching program i actually went traveling for like nine months so i went around southeast asia uh, and actually it was whilst traveling that i realized that i had um because i like lost <laughs> i got quite a lot of trouble and i was sort of googling why do i keep losing stuff and then an article about you know oh if you have a parents who lose their stuff you might have and i did a whole massive went into a rabbit hole and realized that yeah i probably have adhd and that makes total sense um and i i remember at the time telling one of the people in from one taste about it bernadette and she just sent me this article about indigo children or something <laughs> i'm really cool i was so pissed off <laughs> so pissed off yeah 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 it was like oh no you just you're just channeling the gods or something or you're just a shaman in touch with their spirit you're not you don't have adhd Priscilla. <laughs> i was so pissed off because i just made this like massive discovery and she just you know sends me this bs new age article about you know some crappy theory <laughs> so it was that kind of thinking that was like you of course and i just remember thinking yeah like i, just, I can't be done with this um <laughs> diagnosis is not real just do be in a cult and be saved <laughs> um, Yeah, it went to uh, uh, yeah, I pursued I pursued it in the NHS. I ended up going private because it got a bit too long and a massive year, I don't know five years wait list or something. So I ended up going private, and um, yeah, I got diagnosed then with uh, combined combined ADHD and anxiety. So yeah, it was like a it was a massive massive thing for me uh, to realise that and and. You know, I, I do think if I had known about my neurodivergence before I joined any of these groups, um, that would, it, I probably wouldn't have joined those groups, to be honest. Like, because, you know, when I got the medication, um, it, it made such a massive difference in my life about the way I was able to sort of manage myself and feel better in myself. You know, it doesn't matter, it, it's a matter you know, I still get uh, insecurity and things like that. But, it just it, like also the diagnosis and it just gave me such a better understanding of myself and why I was the way I was because the whole thing with joining these groups is that it basically underneath it all I was really trying to sort of like fix myself you know because I thought something is wrong I don't know what maybe this group has the answer um and if I'd known all along well actually I have this condition and you know there's other people out there like you on with this similar struggles then I would have you know because I have that community now you know, I have, even if it's just, you know, online, I don't always see them face to face. Like I have that group of people that I can just go, does this happen to you? Oh, it does. Good. I'm not alone. You know, it's like, it's that sense of community is there. Um, 
so that's a massive massive difference um to my life yeah Are there any resources for people who are neurodivergent and have left groups like this and are maybe looking for support? Well, you know, when I was looking, there isn't much at all. Um, Not in the UK, anyway. Um, I think there's probably maybe more in America, but in the UK, um, when I was looking, I I found one website with one therapist um, who was fully booked (laughs) and sort of, I was like, oh, well, there's this group. Uh, you might want to try this group. And I didn't even know if they were still meeting. You know, it's one of the things that I need to find out because I'd like to be in a sort of cult survivor group. Um, I managed to make it to one meeting yet. But um, I know there was something on Eventbrite. I know there was something, I think that was an online group that was based in Manchester, something like that. Um, there's, a, there's a cult information centre. That's the, I think that's the only charity I found that sort of, um, or the cult awareness, I think it's something like cult information, and I got that wrong, <laughs> um, that is talking about like raising awareness of what cults do. Um, and that's, I think that's such a tiny organization though. I think it's run by one guy. <laughs> um, I don't know how many people actually work, but it's very small. The information, um, I mean, the website is old now. Um, and so that yeah, there's just it's yeah, there's the cult information. So yeah, there's not out there. And to be honest, like what I found, um, so, so I think the most help I got really was actually from listening to like podcasts. Um, so yeah, with yourself. <laughs> so thank you for doing your work. <laughs> um, uh, I found that really helpful, and I found just like I started reading books like Steve Hassan, um, Rick Ross. Uh, Rick Ross is, is really, really good, actually, because it's got a whole load of stuff in Landmark and just all the I, I did a deep dive in Landmark in there, so that was really good. Um, yeah, 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 bankruptism, basically, yeah. So I respect Rick Ross for continuing speaking out against them and naming them. Yeah, he's, yeah, he's a really, yeah, a lot of respect because he, he really, he really details like what they do, their founder, the founder, the fact that Werner Erhard actually said something like, we, we sell independence and we breed dependence or we, or we, yeah, it was something like, yeah, and I was just like, chilling. Um, but yeah, stuff like that, that I said in a podcast and I was like, oh my God. Um, so yeah, I got a lot from just my control, researching about like different cults, um, different cults of our stories um stuff like that yeah um and uh and I actually wrote a, a blog and uh appeared on a, this intersectional disability webinar about like talking about a bit about my experience in a cult as a uh neurodivergent person so I found that very cathartic as well I was talking about Facebook um during the lockdown and I listened to this Past called the Orgasm Cult as well, which he did, which was really opened my eyes again to what was going on the scenes. Because with that group, I never really got so high up that I, I really understood what was going on. Um, so it was only kind of listening to that that I realised how like bad it was for me. It was just sort of like rumours that I'd heard or things that were said casually, and I was like, "Oh wait, what was that? You had arranged marriages? What was that?" And then pursuing that, realising, "Oh okay, this is really shit." Like um, this abuse, this like trafficking. Um, so uh, I'm really upset, and that sort of, you know, made me realize a lot of things about the group and Landmark, and yeah, 
Um, yeah, but that's yeah. I think the, uh, what I was gonna say is that a lot of what I read in the sort of cult survivor um, uh, literature, a lot of it is really. <laughs> this is why I wrote this blog, and this is why I sort of talking about this particular angle um, from a marginalized perspective. Is that a lot of the uh, it really stresses that um, it's, you know, it's only normal people, uh, not like normal people join the cult, you know, anyone can cult. You know, it's like we're just professional, intelligent people, you know, and it's it, there's a lot of emphasis on normality, which like I can see why that is because there's a, such a stigma about joining a cult, and it's like they wanted to get away from this idea that we're just all, I don't know. Steve Hassan used to break scatterbrained coops. <laughs> I'm just like, oh. um, a bit of able You know, it's like, I understand where they're coming from and why they think. But on the other hand, it's all quite alienating to me because I'm like, I don't really understand, like, what's so great about being quote-unquote normal anyway. <laughs> um, why this need to feel normal and, and normal is sort of relative anyway. And sort of enablist sort of concept so I did feel a bit alienated by that because they they stressed it and it was almost like oh you know disabled people because they they wouldn't be productive and it would be like it wouldn't be effective for them blah 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 you know and it's just like well hold on a sec <laughs> um, so yeah there was that I felt that's why I sort of felt cool like cool to sort of talk about my story and my particular take on my experience um, I think it's really important to sort of look at the diversity within the experience and not make sort of these big generalizations. Priscilla, thank you so much for being on the show. You can see Priscilla's talk on June 24th at 4 to 4.50 p.m. on the ICSA website. Uh, There's a conference link, I believe, that we don't have yet. Um, Her talk is titled, Only Normal People Join Cults representing and supporting the multiply marginalized and neuro-minority cult experience. And there is a link to her website in the description of this show. Thank you for listening to On Belief, a podcast about cults. I'm Karen Geyer. You can follow me at at K-A-R-E-N-G-E-I-E-R or follow the podcast on Instagram or Twitter at onbeliefpod. And you can contribute to the Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Karen Geyer. You can also visit our website. It's just onbelief.com. 